Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. My name's Erin O'Brien and I'm the Beef Industry Development Officer at the West Midlands Group. In this week's episode, I spoke to Rio Tinto Pastoral Manager Sim Mathwin about the progress of the BeefLinks virtual fencing project at Hammersley Station. We talk progress of the trial, potential commercial uses, and how it fits into the greater BeefLinks program. BeefLinks is a research and development program funded by MLA and UWA, which is aiming to increase the value of the northern beef cattle supply chain, and is supported by our work on the backgrounding project based in Dandarigan. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on the information provided in this podcast. Thank you, Sim, for coming on today. To start us off, could you please tell us a bit about yourself and as well as how you came into your role at Rio and what does your current role encompass? Thanks, Erin. My name's Sim Mathwin, originally from Cojnup, so I farmed in Cojnup until 2007. Then I came into Rio Tinto as a hydrogeologist for four or five years, so that's groundwater. Then got the opportunity to run with the irrigation projects. So Rio Tinto has 1,600 hectares under irrigation from mine watering water just out of Tom Price. Did that for four or five years. Now I'm looking after Rio Tinto's pastoral stations and that's going well. That's good. Yeah, that's an interesting pathway through learning how things work out. Yeah, I mean the thing is a company like Rio, it's got a lot of pastoral station but not a lot of pastoralists or not a lot of people who understand the basics of animal husbandry and cropping. Yeah, so it's good to have your, your expertise. How did the virtual fencing trial begin? I suppose virtual fencing came up as a concept because a lot of cattle get onto Rio Tinto rail and into our mine sites and into our camps and they're quite disruptive as you can imagine and so that's where the concept started and because we also own a lot of cattle stations and we understand the implications of being able to manage how you graze cattle it was just a great opportunity probably another thing that drove it was rio's gone to auto hall so that's where there are no people in the trains anymore so cattle on rail you know there's there's not much you can do about it and so then you start thinking well look if rio tinto can put trains without drivers and we own all this land even though we're not in agriculture, how can we use the capacity that a company like Rio Tinto brings to really crank up something like virtual fencing? So yeah, it really started about cattle getting onto our infrastructure, but then the thinking is we've got the capacity, we've got the stations, why don't we look at virtual fencing? Environment and culturally sensitive areas are very important from a social license to operate perspective. So virtual fencing gives us an opportunity to control our cattle better. Yeah, and so when were these sort when were these discussions coming up? What sort of time? Four or five years ago. It takes a long time. Probably two and a half years ago, three two and a half, three years ago, I rang up Deepherd and they said you might need to go through ethics approval. So ethics approval took a year and a half and that was through UWA and Phil and Zoe Dermick were really helpful writing up the um, documentation for ethics. So that was quite a challenge. But when you look back on the fact that if it's if it's research, which it is, then someone has to be accountable. Yeah, it definitely is, is good that those principles are, are there, but it takes a bit to get, get around them and get things approved. How do the collars actually work? For those people who don't know anything about collars, they're essentially a collar. They've got two probes that sit on the animal's neck and there's two layers to the fencing. As they approach a virtual fence, they'll hear a sound and then if they keep going, they'll get an electric pulse through the 
two probes on the collar. So that's how it works physically. The intent of the sound is they hear the sound and then they don't go any further because last time they heard the sound, they got a small electric shock. So that's how it works. It clips around their neck. There's a few challenges with the collars. Obviously, if you put it around a young animal and leave it on for 12 months, the animal's going to grow. So there has to be some thinking done about how to expand that collar. So that's the collar themselves. From a georeferencing perspective, it talks directly to the satellite. But when it comes to reprogramming, putting new vents in, all that sort of stuff, it actually has to be within the mobile phone network range. And so Rio Tinto had to put three towers in. And my understanding is it's radio communications back to the central tower, then it goes to the Telstra tower, which is nearby, into your mobile network system. That's roughly how it works. Something like virtual fencing, I don't think anyone will ever put collars on every single animal they own. But if you could put collars onto your bulls and your best breeders, or you might say, okay, I want to graze in a certain way 50,000 hectares of land, well, then you might put it onto a young group of steers a thousand of them and control graze a small area of land so you can smash down certain areas of pasture you can keep them out of sensitive areas rio's looking into doing carbon storage through human induced regeneration for those who don't know human induced regeneration is an approved carbon farming initiative where you control your cattle grazing to allow woody vegetation to regenerate so obviously if you've got collars and you can virtually fence out those areas and then on top of that when you do a carbon project once every i think it's five years it gets audited to make sure that you're actually doing what you said you were going to do and obviously if you've got virtual fencing which tracks everything about where all your cattle are going you can present the auditors with a record of your cattle and so the carbon projects are a real opportunity with virtual fencing but look, honestly, like with virtual fencing, it took 10 years for Rio to go from no auto haul to auto haul. I'd be saying that from this point in time, yeah, I'd like to think in five years, the juice is starting to get on board. But it's probably a 10 year until things really change holistically around how you manage your cattle. No, it's a good start and it is good that Rio, Rio obviously have the capital behind them to be able to take yep. part in projects like this. So it's really mm-hmm. good for the industry to have companies actually pushing for it where they can. That kind of leads on to my next question, which is what are some other ways that Rio Tinto is helping to develop the agricultural industry? Like the irrigation projects are something that are there from a hay production perspective. How much hay do they, they does that usually produce? Um, up to 30,000 tonnes a year. You know, I'd love the, the pastoral industry to be getting more involved as to how we could make the most out of the irrigation projects. So at the moment, the irrigation projects, we produce hay, and that's it, because we're restricted by a lot of licensing and approvals and all those things that go with it. Rio's a mining company, but what would be great is to get more involvement from the pastoral industry. So possibly more feedback, push push everything along. Well, the thing is, you, you cattle improve based on the product quality of the product you're putting down their throat. Yeah. Yes, Rio's restricted and and Rio will continue to do what it's doing because it's working well, managing our water and also it's providing a product to the Pilbara and Kimberley. But, you know, it'd be great to collaborate more. We've kind of touched on it as before, but what other opportunities would there be for commercial use of the collars for producers around WA? If you're really blue sky about the collars, I can imagine a perfect world where you, at weaning, right, you would start putting collars on cattle, right? So instead of them getting used to a physical fence as a barrier, yeah. they just get used to a sound. As soon as they hear a sound, 
I don't want to, I'm, I'm not going any further because that's my barrier. Would you want it before that? So if their mums are following it, then they, well, you could. yeah. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, oh. start with parents. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, so you'd have the, I think if you had the whole system where the cattle were used to collars, right, then they'd stop thinking about a physical fence as the barrier and just think of the sound as the barrier. But you almost need that type of thinking because I'm sure that if you, over a number of years, had all your cattle with collars, you'd very quickly get them well trained. So you get back to your question, commercialisation. They're looking into proximity alerts with the collars. So you'd have a collar on your bull, collar on your cow. So you've got the number of the bull, you've got the number of the cow. So you know that mating happened. The next step then would be, okay, when that cow has a calf, how do you match that calf to that mum? Would be a trick because then obviously you've got single-sire mating and you've got the mother as well. Yeah. And certainly yeah. they, I mean, you might be able to, certainly with the single-sire mating side of things, if that's the way you wanted to go, you'd know the sire and then you'd be able to draft the cattle for their tags. Certainly in breeding... I can see... Because yeah. then it could be, yeah, looking at progeny and how size are... What sort yeah. of progeny those size are producing. Hmm. Yeah. No, exactly. You can tell which... Um, it came up the other day, a bloke we bought bulls from. He was interested to know how his bulls were performing. Well, at the moment, you chuck them out and you hope they're performing. And you don't know who the kids are from and all that sort of yeah. thing. Whereas if you've got a, a collar or even... Um, you know, you've got Sarah's ear tags, you know, just for yeah, tracking yeah. the bull. You know, then you can say, well, this bull worked really, or seemed to work really well. This one wasn't. And then that helps the breeder of the bull say, okay, well, wherever that, the genetics came from for that bull, we'll yeah. get rid of. Yeah, we've got that'll help a lot. You know, like they've got sort of draft, automatic drafting at water points and that sort of thing. But to me, that's a long way down the track. But, I mean, I suppose you could start drafting cattle at water points, wet and dry. Mm, so if you yeah. know they've made it, then you dra- keep drafting off the ones that are wet. Initially, you can see that that could be a bit hit and miss because you might not get it right. You know, that sort of thing you can muster technically with the collars. So That's a big one. there's thing, things like the, and again, this is getting way down the track, but the, if you had the floods like that in Queensland and you imagine every animal had a collar on it, which is never going to happen, right? But you imagine a lot of the animals had collars on. Well, you'd move those cattle to a high point. Yeah. You might even put hay at that high point. So those are the sort of things that... Yeah, it's even just that lack of fencing. Like, if you can yeah. cut down on your fences, then maybe yeah, she, yeah. floods, fire, like we were talking about the field day, yeah. could be ethically more yeah. sound as well. Yep. And the cost of maintenance of fencing, like every fence in, in the pastoral region costs between five to ten grand per kilometre to build. Which is just like phenomenal because it adds mm. up over mm. God, how many, however many k's you have to end up fencing. Yep. If you're blue sky about it, phenomenal. And they're already talking about, I think the tagging people are talking about having an app so that if you are driving in the Pilgrim, you download an app and then that app gives you a proximity alert for any cattle that are within... A certain distance when you're driving. Now that would be, oh, that's a good one. That is a good one. That's a great one. But, but the thing is, but you can imagine in five or ten years' time, that could actually be there. And, and that's with the tags, because there's two different types of technology. There's tags, which is location. Yeah. Collars are for 
bouncing in. And in actual fact, I think you, I can imagine that if it goes the way we want it to go, then you'd use both. Yeah. You know. We'll have something yeah. that is. Yeah. Like you might tag every animal with the location one, so then you know where all your cattle are, but then you, once you love a bit more, you might put collars on. But certainly for that proximity one, you know, that could actually work. Because at the moment, virtual fencing's been around probably 30 years, but it's expensive, it's complex, it's time-consuming, it's all those things. Yeah. Whereas if you get investment coming in based on safety on public roads, I think that's where the real change happens. And the last thing was with the trial specifically that you're doing, how long has it been going for with the collars actually on cattle and how many cattle have had the collars on? So we started in April. We put collars on 20 head. Then we had a control group of 20 head. Did cortisol assessments for stress. At that point, if the animals were really stressed because of the collars, from an ethics perspective, we would have stopped the trial, reconfigured it, and then started the trial again. But as it turns out, we could see no negative impacts to the animal's well-being. That was very promising. So it was very promising. So we did that for a month and then at a bit of a break, then we've just had 100 head of cattle for 100 days. 30 days, we had just the collars on. And again, for the cortisol side of things, 30 days, we had them in an area where they could see physically the fence, but we put a fence around that fence. Yeah. And then for the last 30 days, we just had them in a paddock with, and literally they were just held by the fence. And all three stages of that worked well as well. And the reason we went through those three stages was around an ethics perspective. Next phase is 500 heads starting in April next year. That'll go for three months. What's the plan after? The plan after that... So the intent at the moment is for this trial, it's those five. So we've got ethics approval to run that trial as it is. Yeah. Right? So we can't extend the trial and keep it this trial. What we'd have to do is either, in my mind, we'd go back to the, if we needed more ethics approval to do something different. Yeah. In my mind, we'd go back and say, well, we've proven that from an animal welfare perspective, it's fine. And then I'd go back and ideally you work with a third-party pastoralist who's keen to be involved. You know, what that would look like, it might go back to what we were talking about before. You put some tags into their bulls and you put collars on 100, 200, 300 of their best breeders. Yeah. And just work through those things we're talking about as far as an opportunity goes and see whether it actually does add value. I think it's really important to try and get some pastoralists putting them on in their yards, find out what fun they can have in such a short period of time because that's where you'll get real changes. If you get people who are really keen to have a go and they really want it to work, then they'll get the cattle in the yards, they'll be putting the collar on, they'll get smacked around a bit and they'll think, right, we have to do it a different way. And so then you'll start thinking about better ways of doing it. So Rio had a field day this year. It was on Hammersley Station, but really the field day was MLA and UWA and West Midlands Group pushed it and made it happen. We'd love to run another field day sometime next year with the 500 head of cattle, possibly while we're putting the collars on. And ideally you'd have a field day where you sit down, you talk to the other pastoralists, and you'd say to them, how would you do this? They say, well, we just wouldn't send them out the front door. But for the ones that do hang around, we can work with them. I think it's a great opportunity. Well, the last thing I was going to say to tie it back into the other uses, maybe about the sheep. What yeah, so with the sheep, right, sheep obviously have wool. I think wool's a pretty good insulator. When you look at uh, the probes on the cattle collar, they're literally just two little lumps 
that obviously just sit on the skin. Yep. So you need to have that contact. You had those two probes just spring-loaded. So as the wool grew, probes just stayed there. Like we were talking about before, in the wheat belt where a lot of fences have gone for good reason, you've got good big gear and you just want to do tram lining back and forth. If you could get sheep back without fences, that would be phenomenal. I mean, another thing you could do, you know, off shears, obviously, two or three months where the probes in their current configuration would work. Look, sheep would probably work better as well because they're much more of a herding animal. Well, not much more, but they are more of a herding animal than cattle. Cattle are much more individual, whereas with sheep, you can uh, get most of them doing one thing. They'll probably all do that one thing. So the wheat belt one would be a huge opportunity. You've already got good comms up there. You know, a lot of the auto steer and all that sort of stuff relies on really good comms. It might be a good opportunity for someone who trades sheep. So you would collar animals. You'd almost um, adjust sheep onto these places where they wanted to smash down the stubble or something like that. Yeah. And I guess that ties back into the carbon as well, if you can be avoiding certain spots if you've got a carbon contract. Yep. That could no. help as well in those areas. It would, yep. I think, I think that's everything. Thank you very much for coming on today and chatting to us or chatting to no me. No worries, Erin. I look forward to it when it happens next time. Yep. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Sim for being so generous with his time and knowledge. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode because I really enjoyed recording it. The best way to receive our updates and stay in the loop with the latest in local research and results is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do and we pride ourselves on ensuring members like you receive relevant, innovative information. You'll save hours of your valuable time with easy access to the most relevant and up-to-date information you really need. A membership gives you early access to our workshops, free or discounted entry for up to three farm business members to our major events, exclusive access to our member-only publications like our technical newsletter, the West Midlands Group Quarterly. For more info, visit our website where you can sign up anytime. I'd like to thank our sponsors and members without whom this would not be possible. See you next time for some more paddock chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.